Shalom, shalom. This is Eitan Press, and I am here in the holy city of Jerusalem with my friend Yonatan Nerol. Yonatan is the head of the Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development, which is a nonprofit, an amutah, which is bringing together the power of religion and the values of ecology to create a more sustainable world. And um, Yonatan is has like so much to say. Yonatan is like a fountain of of consciousness and of light of things that people really need to be thinking about right now in terms of our planet because we really are living in a global village. We really are living in a place where intersection where technology and religion and are intersecting and religions are intersecting with each other and at the same time there's rainforests and there's trees and there's rivers and we're all one here on this tiny pale blue dot as Carl Sagan says and the question is like how are we going to live together and how we are going to live together sustainably and that is why I'm sitting here with Yonatan today so Yonatan thank you so much for being here on the Listen Israel podcast. Thank you, Eitan. It's good to be here, sitting outside of our office, across from the Prime Minister's residence in the holy city of Jerusalem. There's a lot to talk about. One of the things we could talk about is... What happens to those places where, like, the oil gets drilled from? Well, it's a good question. You know, at at the site of the... where the oil's being drilled, there's probably some disruption to the sea life at the bottom of the sea, But the bigger concern is actually what happened seven years ago in the Gulf of Mexico at the Maconda well that BP drills, in which they were drilling about 25,000 feet below sea level, meaning they had a drilling platform at sea level, and then they had tubes that went down 25,000 feet, that's five miles, to the sea floor. And the well... They were in a rush in order to make a deadline, and the well started gushing up. And the gusher exploded their their devices, and it took them many, many weeks to plug up that well. And in the time that that happened, there was a huge oil spill, much greater than that of the Exxon Valdez in Alaska. So that's the bigger concern, is what might happen to the Mediterranean should these offshore oil wells that are being drilled, should something go wrong? As has already happened like with British really Petroleum. Scary thought. Yeah, you see, in the Jewish tradition, the sages say, "Ezehu chacham et hanolad." Who is the wise person? The person who sees the outgrowth of their actions. And one of uh, one of the deep you know, Jewish you know, values is long-term thinking. That reminds me of the, uh, the I believe it's the Native American saying, which is. Uh, like you have to think about the consequence of your actions down to the seventh generation, yeah. something like that. Yeah, so I've, I've heard that attributed to Chief Seattle. And uh, so that's one of the things is how, you know, because the fact that this oil well is now being drilled with a tremendous cost, and at the same time when there's, by comparison, relatively little investment in solar energy and in wind energy, in this country, even though Jerusalem, for example, could generate significant power from wind and from solar. Now, so that reflects on the religious people, because the question is, are people of faith speaking up to say, we need to be connecting to solar energy to fuel 
industrial society instead of connecting to fossil fuels, which scientists have shown have a major effect on us. Wow. And, 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 how, and like right now you're talking ecology and you haven't even mentioned global warming, but how does religion fit into all of this? Because essentially right now you're kind of wearing an ecologist's hat. You're talking about sustainability. You're talking about the impact on the environment. You know, these are all things that a person who doesn't believe in God can fully appreciate and value. Um, so what, what, what's God got to do with it, Yonatan? God's got everything to do with it. You see, Dr. Seuss wrote several decades ago, I am the Lorax, I speak for the trees, I speak for the trees, for the trees have no tongue. But the truth is, is you could very well insert, I am God, I speak for the earth, I speak for the earth, for the earth has no tongue. And, that, and, and because this is God's creation. God created this planet. God, according to the Bible, entrusted the human being to care for creation. We need to engage in creation care and stewardship of this earth. If we cause an oil spill, like the millions of consumers who bought oil did in the BP spill, then it's our lack of concern that's causing this, and that is, is a blemish on our stewardship of God's creation. So we need to act for our own sake, for the sake of our children, but we also need to act because God is watching us and God wants us to live in balance on this planet. And what about the people who say, but didn't God give us the earth in order to use it for ourselves? So it does say in Genesis one twenty-eight that God gave people the license to have dominion over the earth, but the Jewish tradition makes clear that that dominion is a dominion of stewardship and that the juxtaposition of God saying that God created the human being in the image of God means, according to the Jewish oral tradition, if we act in the image of God, then we have dominion and if we don't act in the image of God, then we are taken down and even the mosquitoes and the bacteria dominate us. Wow, that is the deepest thing because right now the number one killer of human beings on the planet is actually mosquitoes. Hmm. Yeah, so, so and, you know, and if you want to talk about climate change, so the disease and vectors are going north and the tiger mosquitoes from Asia are now reaching places like here and, 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 and are bringing diseases with them. And so that's something that you know, is in some ways... Uh, a fulfillment of this of this midrashic warning that we need to be stewards, and if we're not, then we're going to suffer the consequences. You know that is that is worth publishing a blog about, my friend. I'm just have to say, in terms of you know all the stories that you're sharing about the intersection of religion and ecology, the fact that this midrash is actually coming true. Right? You know, people constantly love creating content about biblical prophecy coming true in modern times. Right? But nonetheless, that is really what is going on here. Right? Like, this Midrash is describing a situation in which, you know, the, the environment is going to make our lives hell. Mm -hmm. Because we did not steward the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's another response that I sometimes hear from people of faith who say that we don't really need to worry about how we treat the earth or the environment because the Messiah will come and take care of it. And this is a, a theological view that I've heard from Orthodox Jews as well as uh, Evangelical Christians and, uh, and, and even people from other faiths. The thing with that logic that's flawed is that 
at least in the Jewish tradition, there is a, a midrash, an oral tradition that says that when God created the Garden of Eden, God took Adam and showed him all the trees of the Garden of Eden and said to him, see how beautiful and praiseworthy are my works. Everything that I created, I created for you. Be careful not to destroy or despoil my world, for if you do, there will be no one after you to repair it. In other words, God isn't going to come and just repair our mess. God has entrusted us with creation. And if we mess up creation, there will be consequences, physical consequences and spiritual consequences for our lack of spiritual awareness and how we're living on this planet. Wow, that's a really scary thing. So what about like, how do you understand like, Listen, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be real. There's like in Gan Soccer in Jerusalem, there are these huge picnic picnics uh, with that a lot of people from the religious community come to, like the quote unquote ultra orthodox Jews, right? And I really don't like like using labels, right? Like Haredim, like I don't like using that label, but like people in the Haredi community and they leave behind like a wave of litter of just like plastic forks and knives. And listen, litter is happening all over the planet. Okay, so it's not just a Jewish thing, like human beings litter but nonetheless is there is there anything in the torah that says that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing yeah so the torah is full of teachings that relate to caring for the holy city of jerusalem and caring for the holy land of israel and caring for this planet and there's no shortage of such teachings what's lacking is the emphasis of these teachings in religious education and that's that's something that needs to be repaired a month ago, there was a garbage strike in Jerusalem, which for me is sort of like a field day because it's a rare opportunity when the garbage doesn't go away and we can see how our consumer society and how our disposable society is producing so much trash. And it's not just with the, the ultra-Orthodox, it's all sectors of society. Some produce more, some produce less. But all sectors of current society are embracing the consumerist paradigm that involves a lot of disposable products. You know, it used to be that products were made to be durable. It, you know, if you look at the way things were made 30 years ago, 50 years ago, they were much more durable than, they were, than they're made today. In our times, you even have things like a refrigerator or a car or a computer or a smartphone, which is manufactured to only last five or seven years. And then you throw it away and you buy it again. And to be honest, the ecological crisis, which is a religious crisis, also relates to the marriage crisis. Because when we accustom ourselves to throwing away things, whether, whether it's a Dixie cup or a Chevy Volt, mm -hmm. whatever we're accustomed to throwing out, so if we know we can throw out expensive things and big things, so then relationships also become disposable. And so if we address the spiritual root, we will then also address the ecological implication and the marriage implication. Okay, so you're getting into a whole other thing, which is the relationship of spirituality to actually not just the problem of the environment, but yeah. the problem of marriage. And I think actually any number of other problems in the world actually have at their root a disconnection from God. Yeah. That it's because people that aren't connecting to the divine that they're acting in all these unconscious ways. Yeah. Because even if people don't know any better, yeah. if their intention is to truly, truly serve Hashem, then they're going to want what's in the highest good for themselves and the highest good of all life everywhere. And they're going to organically align themselves with that intention. Yes. Right. 
And so that's why, as Henry David Thoreau said, for every hundred people hacking at the branches of the tree of evil, one person's hacking at the roots. Or as the Rashba, Rabbi Shlomo Aderet said 700 years ago, if you address the root issues, then the peripheral issues will fall away. You see, the ecological crisis is messaging to us that we need to address the spiritual roots. And unless we address the spiritual roots, the peripheral issues, what's happening to the rainforest, what's happening to the climate, those will not be solved in any meaningful way. That's why we need the largest NGO in the world, which is religious institutions, to get on board in addressing this crisis. Because if it doesn't, then the current mainstream environmental approach will not be sufficient to solve the root issues. The largest NGOs in the world are religious institutions. Yonatan, you just blew my mind because basically what you're saying, now I'm really beginning to get it, is that like if religions actually started to use their power for the environment, as in normally we think about like the environment as a cause, right, and religion as a cause, Mm -hmm. right, but if all of a sudden religion made environment a cause and all the money that's going into religion and all the weight that religion pulls in terms of living sustainably, it could, to use the term in startup, be truly disruptive in an amazing way. Yeah. Or, or to use a different term of Malcolm Gladwell, the ec- ecological awareness could tip if religion puts its weight on the scale. Okay? You see, according to a Pew study, 85% of people in the world affiliate with a religion. There are 1.2 billion Catholics. There are another 800 million other Christians. There's 1.6 billion Muslims. There's about close to a billion Hindus. We're talking about most of the world's population outside of, you know, most people in China. And so if these, if, if people at the local level, imams, priests, pastors, rabbis, nuns, monks, can talk about these issues on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, in their houses of worship. This is why it matters to God that I compost. This is why it matters to my neighbor that I bicycle instead of drive uh, a large SUV. This is why it matters to, in, in my spiritual practice, that I have a community garden, that I garden with my neighbors, instead of just buying globalized food from my local supermarket. Wow, that's an that's an incredible vision, and so and so let's bring this down. Like you know, you have this nonprofit, the Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development. What's it all about? So we are working to catalyze a transition to a sustainable, thriving, and spiritually aware society through the leadership of faith communities. At a practical level, we're doing that through four different projects. Our first project is engaging seminaries in Israel, in Rome, in the United States, and Canada to promote the teaching of religion and ecology within theological education. And we're holding eight conferences in eight different cities to engage seminary deans and faculty. Our second project is our Faith and Science Earth Alliance, which is bringing together religious figures and scientists to make joint statements in person and via video on ecological sustainability. Our third project is ecotourism in the Holy Land through our branch Eco-Israel Tours, which is engaging groups visiting here on the connection between the Holy Land ecology and faith teachings. And our fourth project is a Jerusalem eco-fair, which is showcasing some of the ecological initiatives here in Jerusalem for visitors and residents.
Wow, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. So if you could have have your way, like what would the world look like in the next 10 years? Yeah. Well, there would be a major reorientation of human society. It would be a society that would really be thinking about how we can live closer to the land in terms of growing our own food, or at least some of our own food, of um, localizing our economies, of connecting to religious traditions for inspiration and guidance on how we live sustainably. It would be a society of where we fundamentally reorient all sectors of society, media, philanthropy, government, business, for what Pope Francis calls an ecological conversion, about really thinking about it, as, you, as Chief Seattle said, thinking about seven generations from now. What does it mean to have a media that cares about seven generations from now instead of just tomorrow's paper? What does it mean to have a government that instead of wanting, for example, in the U.S. to cut the Environmental Protection Agency's budget by, by $2 billion, by 25%, and, and, and add $54 billion to the military budget, which is already the, a, a huge section of the budget, what would it mean to reorient that? And to, so but I'm, at the most deepest level, what I'm seeking is, a, is a, a reorientation of human consciousness from being net takers to being net givers and to moving toward a more altruistic and spiritual society. And, and, and what is, what, where's, where's religion playing a role in that vision? It's playing a, it's playing a big role. We, we've gotten a big uh, boost from Pope Francis coming on board. And no, but what, not, not now, in, that, in 10 years from now, what's the relationship between religion and ecological sanity? So religion becomes the delivery vehicle for faith-based sustainable living. Pastors, rabbis, imams, they become preachers and teachers of how do we connect our faith with our food? How do we live our values spiritually and sustainably? That's, that's the deeper vision for religious education of children, of adults, of houses of worship relating to ritual, prayer, learning. All There's a huge transformation that can take place and that will take place hopefully in our lifetimes. Amin, Yonatan Nerol, thank you so much for being with me today on Listen Israel. Is there a website where people can go to find out more? Yes, our website is www.interfaithsustain.com, and we also have a very active Facebook page and Twitter account. Um, Yonatan, is there a prayer that you would like to leave uh, our listeners with? My hope and my prayer is that we open up to the deep teachings in our traditions for ecological living and that these teachings help us to connect us to God, to each other, and to ourselves in a deeper way. Yonatan, thank you so much for being on Listen Israel, and you can hear more at listenisrael.com.